0: The defense commission of these four murders over a 10 day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Tracy, what'd I tell you about playing the organ while I'm trying to record a commercial? Dang, my bad. Get off my nuts. Hey, Hillbilly Horror Stories fans, I'm Annie Weaves. And I'm Brendan Shea. We are paranormal investigators and hosts of Serial Spirits Podcast. We are excited to be a part of the Hillbilly Horror Story 6th Anniversary live show at the Old Hospital on College Hill. We have had the privilege to investigate there, and wow, is this place active. Hey guys, it's Jerry And Tracy. We are so excited to have Annie and Brendan with us on Saturday, August 20th at the Old Hospital on College Hill in Williamson, West Virginia. You will hear both shows do a live version of our podcast, and then everyone will get a tour of the hospital. Get your tickets today at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And don't procrastinate, because seating is limited. Hey guys, Annie here. We're rounding out the final weeks of summer now. The last days of bonfires, campouts, late nights with friends. So what says end of summer celebration better than a summer camp? And what says summer camp better than a creepy story? Serial Spirits is inviting our listeners to Serial Spirits Summer Camp. We want everyone to send us their spookiest stories. Ghosts and haunted houses, creepy cryptid encounters, UFOs and aliens, even your most terrifying true crime tales. And then, as summer draws to a close, we will share your stories on Serial Spirits. If you have a story you'd like to send to us, you can either record yourself telling your own story and send it to us, or you can type it out for us to read on an upcoming episode. Once you've recorded or written your story, you can send it to us on social media, on Facebook at Serial Spirits, or to me personally, Annie Weibel. You can also send it to me on Instagram at Annie Weeps, or you can send it by old-fashioned email to AnnieWeibel at AOL.com. So, meet me at Camp Crystal Lake and gather around our proverbial campfire and share your stories with Serial Spirits Summer Camp. Now through the beginning of September, so don't wait. Send us your stories today. Hey everyone, welcome back to Serial Spirits. I'm Annie Wiebes. With summer winding down and spooky season quickly approaching, I wanted to take a look at some of the stories and objects in the paranormal world that fascinate me the most. In today's serial short, we're taking a look at the death and curse of one of the world's most famous kings. Picture it. February 1923, Egypt's Valley of the Kings. British archaeologist Howard Carter stood at the opening of the tomb of a boy who became a king, ruled a country making decisions that only the most high commanders could make, and then died at the age of 19. King Tutankhamun, better known as King Tut, created one of history's greatest mysteries, still stirring controversy over 3,000 years after his death. The greatest questions remain, who was King Tut? How did he meet his demise at such a young age? And is the curse of King Tut's tomb really real? King Tut's father, King Akhenaten, was a controversial leader who, in his reign, declared that Egypt would abolish its previous polytheistic beliefs of worshipping more than one god and would only worship one god, Aten, an Egyptian sun god. Akhenaten also moved Egypt's capital from the city of Thebes to another city, Amarna. Akhenaten ruled for 13 years, and during this time, the country became weak. Akhenaten married one of Egypt's most famous queens, Nefertiti, although she was not King Tut's biological mother. King Tut's biological mother was one of King Akhenaten's other wives, who was also confirmed by DNA tests to be his own full sister. Inbreeding amongst the royal families was common but also the source of many ailments amongst the line. More about this later. King Akhenaten died of unknown causes during his 17th year of reign. He and his wives had produced at least six daughters during that time, but only one son, named Tutankhaten at birth, who was eight or nine years old at the time of his father's death. Because of his age, King Tut would have had a committee of advisers who assisted him in making the most important political decisions. So it was not surprising that after Aten's death, his law of monotheism was abolished, allowing the Egyptian people to restore their polytheistic beliefs and move the capital back to Thebes. The young king also changed his name from Tutankhaten to Tutankhamun, a post-mortem slap in the face to his father and his views on monotheism. At the wise old age of ten, King Tut was ruling a country, taking on his first wife, Onkensenemun, who was either his full or half sister. The pair had two daughters, one who died after premature birth, at five or six months' gestation, and another who survived a full term gestation, but died shortly after. King Tut's inability to produce a regal bloodline could have actually stemmed from the bloodline itself. As previously stated, it was common and expected for the royal families to breed amongst themselves, keeping the bloodlines pure in their eyes. The years of incestuous relationships began taking a toll on the health of its successors, King Tut being the most well-known example. In the early 2000s, King Tut's mummy underwent rigorous DNA and medical testing to try to determine the cause of his death at age 19. CT scans showed that King Tut suffered from a cleft palate, an extreme overbite, scoliosis, and a clubbed left foot. Depictions of King Tut often showed him with a cane, and a number of walking sticks were found in his tomb with him. His right leg had been badly broken. DNA tests were used to test for numerous genetic maladies including Marfan syndrome, a disease of the connective tissue that can cause heart and lung damage. None of those tests provided any definitive answers. DNA tests did, however, confirm that King Tut had contracted one of the deadliest diseases in the area at that time, malaria. DNA was found in his bones from the parasite that causes the deadly disease. Was it a combination of his poor overall health? and the deadly disease that caused the young king's demise? It's believed that whatever happened to King Tut happened quickly, as the tomb that he was discovered in was significantly smaller than the tombs of other kings during that era. Historians and archaeologists believe that, upon a rapid decline of his health and sudden death, his people were forced to act quickly to construct a tomb for his burial, or use a tomb previously meant for someone else we may not have all the answers to the life and death of King Tut. But centuries after his death, and immediately after the discovery and excavation of his tomb, it was speculated that King Tut lived on in a much more frightening way. After a series of unfortunate deaths and incidents concerning some of the excavation's most prominent names, murmurs of a curse placed on the tomb by King Tut himself began to spread. The first victim was George Herbert, the 5th Earl of Carnarvon, who funded the excavation of King Tut's tomb. Lord Carnarvon fell ill with fever after he nicked a mosquito bite on his face while shaving, developing a fatal blood infection and dying shortly after. It was said that immediately after his death, Lord Carnarvon's beloved dog back home in England howled uncontrollably and then fell over dead. George Gould, a wealthy railroad executive, visited King Tut's tomb shortly after it was opened in 1923 and quickly fell ill with what may have been pneumonia or malaria. He died a few months later. Aaron Ember, an American Egyptologist, was not on site at King Tut's tomb, but was friends with many of the Egyptologists who were there when the tomb was opened and excavated. Back home in Baltimore, he was working on a manuscript for a book entitled The Egyptian Book of the Dead. In 1926, shortly after a party Ember and his wife had hosted in their home, their house caught fire. Ember went back into the burning house, trying to save the manuscript. He and their maid died in the fire. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist, x-rayed the body of King Tut after it was removed from the tomb and was on its way to the museum. He became ill the day after he came in contact with King Tut's body and died a few days later. Another British archaeologist, Hugh Evelyn White, visited the site of King Tut's tomb and was friends with many involved in the excavation. By 1924, supposedly so overcome with fear at the loss of many of his friends who had been involved with the dig, White died by suicide. Rumor said that in his own blood he had written, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Howard Carter, the lead archaeologist in the excavation of King Tut's tomb, and the people closest to him were not immune to the curse either, it seemed. Richard Bethel was Lord Carnarvon's secretary and the second person to follow Howard Carter into the tomb. In 1929, after a series of unexplained fires at his home, where a number of items of King Tut's tomb were supposedly being stored, Bethel was found murdered in a gentleman's club. His murder remains unsolved. In a bizarre twist associated with Richard Bethel's death, Bethel's father, Lord Westbury, died by suicide in 1930. An article from the San Pedro news pilot dated February 21, 1930, was entitled, quote, Man Haunted by Pharaoh's Curse is Dead. The report from London stated that, quote, His mind harried by thoughts of the Pharaoh's curse and the recent death of his son, 78-year-old Lord Westbury today fell or threw himself to death from his bathroom window on the seventh floor of St. James Court his body crashed through a glass veranda ceiling a hundred feet below and knocked over a woman there. She was so badly cut by broken glass and so affected by shock it was necessary to take her to a hospital. Lord Westbury was dead when he was picked up. An inquest into the death was held a few hours afterward and a verdict of suicide while of unsound mind was rendered. The dead man, who was the third baron of his name, had been in ill health for some time. Lord Westbury, for months, has worried over the strange circumstances of the death of his son, Richard Bethel, 46, who was secretary of Howard Carter, whose investigations in Egypt disclosed the treasures of ancient Tutankhamun. Bethel's death, while apparently from natural causes, Revived discussion of the superstition of a curse resting upon meddlers with the tombs of the pharaohs. His was the tenth dead among people connected with the exploration of Tutankhamun's sepulture. Carter, chief disturber of the tomb, is still alive. End quote. Howard Carter's friend, Sir Bruce Ingram, was supposedly given a paperweight by Carter. The paperweight allegedly was made of a mummified hand that wore a bracelet engraved with the inscription, Cursed Be He Who Moves My Body. After receiving the hand, Ingram's house burned down. While attempting to rebuild his house, it was washed away by flood. Howard Carter himself only associated one bizarre occurrence to his time in King Tut's tomb. While completing the excavation, he came home to find his beloved pet canary in the jaws of a cobra. The cobra had found its way into Carter's home and into the canary's cage. The cobra was a symbol of the pharaohs and royalty in ancient Egypt. The incident frightened Carter's household staff, who warned him that it was an omen from the ancient gods. Carter died at age 64 of lymphoma. So the life and death of King Tut, a boy brought to power by circumstance and died perhaps because of his royal bloodline. Did the curse of the young king really exist? Or were the numerous deaths associated with the curse simply natural causes of the time? If you ever find yourself in the Valley of the Kings, it may be a good idea to pay your respects from a distance, just in case. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to Serial Spirits. Please, if you like what you hear, feel free to rate and review the show. Five stars and some nice words go a long way in the podcasting world, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Until next time, bye-bye.